Police rushing to an accident are of no help if they can't arrive themselves safely, yet four in ten on-duty police officer deaths are the result of car crashes. Now the Science and Technology Directorate at the Homeland Security Department has launched a research project to analyze these risks, including in-cruiser distractions, in the hope of reducing the losses. Here with more, the Portfolio Manager in the Science and Technology Office of Science and Engineering, Jim Grove. Mr. Grove, good to have you on. Hi, good morning. Tell us what it is you're trying to understand here better at Science and Technology. Well, we're trying to take a look at police driving accidents and and death statistics overall and trying to reduce the overall number of what we call preventable incidents. We realize, based on past reports by like the National Safety Council or the National Law Enforcement Officers Fund and even some done by National Institutes of Justice or the International Association Chiefs of Police, that's just way too many crashes involving emergency vehicles, and especially deaths among police-involved responses. And do you get the sense early on that it is because of distractions that are inside the vehicles? I mean, police cars are full of PCs and screens and mobile devices. Some have opined over the years, and there have been reports, that the equipment that is in these vehicles is a source of distraction. Some have pointed directly at the mobile data terminal or computer as a source. But I think we have to go back and look at when police response vehicles were designed, they were designed with two people in the vehicle. And over time, we've put more and more equipment into the vehicle. We've required that single officer now to operate that equipment. We've reduced the number of dispatchers probably over time and expecting that officer to parse that information out of the mobile data terminal while they're also trying to drive, trying to operate maybe a siren to change the channels on a radio, and then to be able to listen to what's happening on the radio, maybe if they're responding to support an officer, a man down, or, or domestic incident, or be able to even reposition themselves based on you know other traffic that they're hearing over the radio. And is there a regional or locational aspect to the pattern of losses? That is to say, does it happen more in urban police settings or more in rural settings, or, or does that even apply? I don't know that I have that data to show the difference between rural and metro, but we did work with the Metropolitan Police Department who approached us after an artificial intelligence project we had, and they had completed a Lean Six Sigma methodology, which is defining, measuring, analyzing, improving, and controlling risks. And their goal was to reduce the number of police accidents. Metropolitan Police Department responds to almost 1,900 responses a day. And over a two-year period, or almost a two-year period, they found almost 300 preventable accidents. And of those, 84% occurred during a non-emergency operation. So it's not necessarily emergency operations that are causing these. And almost 80% of those were not responding to a call. So they could be anything from backing the car out of a, of a spot to you know, hitting, hitting a parked vehicle. And they also found that about 97% of those were not a result of the vision being obscured. So yes, there's a lot of equipment that's been jammed in the vehicle, and there's a lot of things that we're asking the officers to do from a cognitive, visual, or, or manual perspective. But I would say that from preliminary analysis, from the data that we've got so far, indicate that the major risk factors for emergency vehicle crashes go really beyond the technology, and they typically fall into four categories. The driver, the task, the vehicle, and the environmental factors. So one of the other factors that was brought up as part of our discussions with Canada and here in the U.S. is new recruits. So you take a recruiting class of, let's say, 300 people that apply, and by the end of getting the best of the best, you wind up with 30. 
One of the things that is not looked at is their driving skills. And what we're doing is we're taking that new officer who may be multitasked at home in a safe environment because he's playing video games and talking on the phone or any number of things. And now, you know, we expect him to get into this mobile office environment and suddenly drive in environments that he's maybe never driven in before and to operate at speeds that he's not used to. And we just think that there's more need going forward to look at the training and how it's delivered. And we recognize that large driver training systems are not necessarily the solution. We're not trying to teach a driver how to drive the vehicle. The assumption is they know how to do that. But we need to train the brain cognitively, visually, and manually how to deal with the distractions in the vehicle. And what's important to us is understanding the underlying causes of these crashes is critical for determining the effective solutions and the strategies to reduce the occurrence of similar incidents. And I would add that the numbers that we've found through these reports reinforce the concept that traveling to an incident is often more hazardous for that first responder than what they do actually after they arrive at the scene. Got it. We're speaking with Jim Grove. He's Portfolio Manager in the Science and Technology Office of Science and Engineering at Homeland Security. And tell us the methodology by which you'll study this, who are some of the partners, and how you'll go about the program of trying to get to the bottom of this phenomenon. Sure. We're working with a variety of stakeholders, including law enforcement officers, academia, local, state, federal partners, and the private sector to understand the underlying causes of distracted driving incidents, and specifically those in law enforcement operations. We're employing a systems engineering approach. We're using the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab as our lead investigator for this, and we want to broaden the spectrum of the problem space, which will help us to identify, examine, and understand the abundance of factors that contribute to this distracted driving and the related consequences. It's important for us to note that before we can determine what solution sets should be applied to this, that we need to understand, again, the, the leading causes. And so we're reviewing the data, and I've talked a little bit about that. We've completed interviews with focus groups, and now we're starting to head into a um, combination of where we want to look at both ideas as well as maybe a design-a-thon-type challenge, a design-a-thon challenge. And we'll probably end up offering financial incentives for that, but what we want to do is to further encourage the development of a, a potential commercial or no-cost solution or, or non-technical solution that could be easily implemented. One of the items that I think is of interest is that S&T recently supported development of something called the HAAS alert, H-A-A-S alert. And it's an alert system that provides responder to vehicle information. So if you're driving your car, it lets you know that there's a responder vehicle in close proximity. It provides responder to responder information so that two emergency vehicles don't collide and provide some situation awareness. So if I'm driving a fire truck and I come across crowded roads, it can reroute me and get me to the scene quicker. The interesting thing about that is that that solution is now a part of, of the basic equipment package for all fire trucks manufactured by Pierce Manufacturing. So if we and, and others that are looking at this space and, you know, can come up with these low-cost solutions, maybe it becomes part of the next Ford or, or Chrysler or GM product. Or, or some other kind of technology. Yeah, I guess what's but good for also, driving by police is good for driving by anybody. Absolutely. And we also recognize, too, that the technology alone is not a solution. I know it comes from a science and technology environment, but the fact is that advanced technologies can blind us from really fully understanding what the root cause of the problem is. And we need to understand that so that we're positively impacting the driving environment and not adding some kind of additional distraction to the driver. 
All right. And what's the timeline for all of this? And do you have guinea pig drivers to try things? The next phase of the project now is, is to work through this ideation and design-a-thon and then test those and provide those into police departments to look at and further evaluate. And then we hope to have this wrapped up by next December and then be in a position to work with those innovators and help them further design those. I do want to point out that you know we are, again, working with Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab as our systems engineering lead. But, again, we're not the only ones looking at this. The National Institutes of Justice, the Department of Transportation, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Washington State University, Virginia Tech Transportation Institute, among others, have ongoing studies of a different variety. And we are contributing to that larger body of knowledge, and we hope that that will help close that gap. Regardless of whether the solution that we find is technical or non-technical, we want to continue to advance that. And we want to find new ways of interacting with the devices that are in these vehicles and really create a much safer driving environment, not only for law enforcement, but first responders in general. All right. Jim Grove is a portfolio manager in the Office of Science and Engineering at the Science and Technology Directorate at Homeland Security. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.